The Operational Art with Laser Berman and Shmuel Shmuel. Good morning and welcome to the Operational Art Podcast with Laser Berman and Shmuel Shmuel, the Dado Center's podcast on the IDF and operational art. We are coming to you today, as always, from Ramleh, Israel at the Home Front Command. Whether you are mud wrestling in Mumbai, driving doctors in Denver, or playing tic-tac-toe in Tokyo, we are happy to have you, and we welcome you to this very special podcast, this post-Christmas, post-Hanukkah, post-New Year's edition. Post-modern. Post-modern edition. In this cold weather and all the snow, we're going to keep you warm and cozy with a very interesting discussion with a very interesting guest. And I am here, as always, with Mr. Shmuel Shmuel. My partner in this project, how are you, Shmuel? I am fine. How are you? I am doing great. Happy post-holidays. <laughs> Happy post-holidays to you, too. Now, what are we talking about today? Help me out here. So, today we're talking about um, military learning and whether or not it's different from civilian learning, uh, since um, the military is unique in that you only, usually you train for war for your entire career and only get to do it once. So, how do you learn um, if, you, if you can actually... Get, rely on your own experience. Interesting. Okay, so we're going to talk about that with a very special guest. Before we introduce him, I have an ad- admission to make today, Shmuel. Oh? My admission today is I'm a little bit nervous. Oh? Because we are going to be talking with our boss at the Dado Center. Is he? Yes, he is. And this can go two ways. It might end with us on the streets looking for a new job, or, or- maybe we'll get a little advancement. So, without further ado, let's introduce our guest. Our guest is Colonel Iran Ortal. He is the head of the think tank at the Dado Center. Good morning. Good morning, Lazer. Good morning, Shpuel. Good morning. Okay, so um, we're going to get right into our, our interview here, and I think I'm going to start with a general question. What is military learning, and what is military thinking? Well, Lazer, I think learning is learning. We all learn. And we all adapt. Organizations learn um, in uh, quite similar ways. But you're quite right. There are some things about military learning which are not only similar but also different. And I found military learning uh, quite a complex thing and something you need to think about and develop intentionally in the organization. So let me ask a follow-up to that. A military needs to win wars, kill the bad guys, blow up tanks. Why do we care if militaries are thinking, if militaries are learning? Let other people, let civilians think, and let the soldiers, let the commanders fight. Well, Ezra, I think it, it has to do with uh, the dynamic of military thinking. Civilians are not out there in the battlefield. So they have difficulties understanding the uh, problems and the challenges that uh, military uh, power faces. Friction and experience is one of the key uh, lessons that uh, uh, makes learning possible for militaries. But saying that also uh, brings us uh, immediately to one of the biggest problems of military learning. Okay. Which is... The fact that although it is essential to learn from your experience, sometimes this might be uh, the very cause of your next disaster. Okay, so what I understand is experience can be your most important tool for a military or commander to learn, but it can also be a trap. It can also lead you to the wrong conclusions. Well, yes. You see, adapting 
through your experience, makes a force excellent in a tactical level. Okay. But then again, the enemy also learns and adapts, and he also tries to surprise you in the next round. So learning from your experience is not enough. You need to anticipate the next uh, challenge. You need to uh, be one step before your enemy. So those two learning mechanisms, one depended on your experience and your frequent adaptation, and the other one is anticipating the future and making yourself dominant in this future, those two mechanisms have real tensions between them. And that is the essence of uh, the complexity of military learning. So you mentioned two mechanisms. W- what's the connection between, for instance, you as an individual in the military learning and organization learning? Is there one mechanism that is better for the one and one for the other? Is there one of them good for the tactical, one of them for the strategic? Well, yes, and um, the complexity is making those huge organizations, militaries, which tend to be uh, huge, complex, very diverse, making them use efficiently both mechanisms. Because you have those big uh, operational apparatus in militaries, say the combatant commands, And they're experiencing, and they're in the friction, and they have a lot of lessons, and they need to communicate those lessons to the other echelon of uh, militaries, those uh, guys who build or generate the power. Uh, in the United States, it's uh, uh, the services. In the IDF, it's our services. They're closer, but it's, it's the same. Now those services need to develop the force according to what's going on in the battlefield. But in the same time, they need to develop the next force, the next step to anticipate the future. That creates tensions, as I've said before, that creates dilemmas on resources, and that creates dilemmas on who is going to be more dominant, who's going to influence, who's going to put on more resources. One mechanism or the other. So you've mentioned uh, mechanisms for learning that are the battlefield, that are internal to the military. What I'm seeing from my perch is ideas that come from the civilian world, especially the business world, coming into the military. Do you think the sh- military should be learning from the civilian world? And is there a specific way to do it properly so we're not learning the l- wrong lessons from a different field of human activity? Well, first, let's... Make things straight. Strategy is a term taken from military studies and military science into the business world. Sure. So it's our uh, contribution to the world. Uh, but I think uh, one should be modest enough, surely when we are talking about learning, to learn from everyone. And one must be intelligent enough to learn what might be useful for him. And to leave uh, the, others, the other things as aside. Something I've noticed when I'm looking at the civilian, the business world, is that they seem to organize themselves differently as an organization than a military does, including the IDF. Is that something you've noticed as well? 
Yes, Lezer. Actually, it's one of the things that I think we can and should learn from uh, businesses, especially high-tech and startup uh, businesses and accelerators. What makes them so flexible? I think their basic idea is that they organize themselves around one problem or one idea that they have. So they bring out any, any specialist and any discipline that should be relevant in order to make a new solution around this new problem or this new idea. Do you have any example of a company that has done that so we really get a picture of what you're intending? Every startup designing an application really does not design a new technology. They only create new integrations of current technology which are designed around a new problem that they've found. Got it. Let's say um, Waze, navigating system uh, application. So it's a new idea that developed around a problem. We need to navigate, and we need to navigate with very real-time information. Well, we have a new idea. Let's combine the idea of uh, networks and social netwo- networks with the idea of navigation. No new technology. Right. GPS already exists. Yep. But a new integration. And a new team designed especially for this idea. Now let's take it to militaries. We are designed around solutions. Not around ideas, not around problems. We are designed around solutions. What are those solutions? Well, the Air Force is designed around the solution of the airplane. Let's, let's be real about the fighter jet plane. Yes. Now, the army is designed around the tanks and APCs. Those solutions are really influencing the way the organization thinks. If you uh, go to the Air Force and uh, uh, make, make the Air Force responsible for fighting, let's say, Katusha rockets, the Air Force will design a solution around the jet plane. Yeah. So... What we can and should learn from uh, the organization outside is not to neglect our old specialties. We need the services. We need the airplanes and we need the tanks. But the ability to create new teams around new ideas or new identified problems, having no prejudice, prejudice, no, yeah. no prejudice about the solutions that are relevant to the problem. So you, you say we need, uh, we need a future command or an innovation service, something that can understand, can see and understand and organize. Well, if you'd say that in Hebrew, mm-hmm. it would have sound radical. But since we're talking English, the Americans did create those kind of organizations. A future command is an idea that they're talking about in the army. And JFCOM... was a very big and uh, a serious organization created for other kind of problems and then uh, dissembled when it's done its job. If you check up Tradoc of the army, it has a lot of organizations inside that are about this point exactly. We had experience in, in the military from uh, the IDF and the American military also. That, as Laser said, we took 
concepts from civilian world, the TQM, all sorts of management stuff, the on-demand the uh, on demand logistics. And, and, and we got it wrong. How can we adapt quickly and we, and we can get, you know, see what's good and what's bad? How can we make this kind of agile thinking in, in your mind? That's a very good question, Shmuel. Thank you. I think we need to uh, different between ongoing trends and fashions and actual hardcore uh, real influencing learning. Now, strategy, as I've said before, is something that we gave to the world. Strategy is all about understanding the changing uh, environment and adapting yourself. To this changing environment, maybe even once the further trying to influence the change of the environment. So this is strategy. It, that's a, actually a military idea. Going deeper on strategy, you should understand that the fact that businesses, technology guys, are uh, talking about strategy so much is something real. It needs to make you realize that change is one of the key factors in modern life. And if everyone is so busy about changing, and if everyone out there is trying to adapt and anticipate, surely some of their ideas might be relevant for us. So as a short aside, what I've often heard from within militaries is that, listen, the military is dealing with life and death, real competition in their words, and businesses are, are dealing with, you know, making money. Therefore, the military competition is much more serious, and we shouldn't learn so much from the civilian world. Now, I don't agree with that. I think in the business world, you're in competition every day, and everyone can see how you're doing based on stock price and that. Our competition really comes to head once a decade, once every half decade, depending on what country you are. So. I really um, agree with the idea that there's, there's learned a lot of learning to be done from outside the military, and we shouldn't look down on people that aren't necessarily in the same field because they're not dealing with life and death. Let's move on to the IDF itself. And let me ask you kind of a broad question before we focus it on the current day. Throughout its history, has there been a certain way that the IDF has learned? Have there been particular challenges to IDF learning, places that they blind spots to IDF learning throughout the history as an organization and as a very successful organization? Well, I'm very proud to be a, a member of the IDF, which is a successful organization. Uh, the fact that uh, the State of Israel is around in our neighborhood and uh, being a successful, a successful state and flourishing state has to do something with uh, the IDF's project. Then again, let's Let's start to chew into uh, what is IDF's uh, learning. What we can see, I think, is a sort of a pattern. The IDF was always uh, excellent in the sense of um, adapting better than its adversaries. And now is that because of the adversaries or because we were better? Or because we were good at it? It's always a competition. So right. it's, it's, Both. that's our business. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we were proud, and I think we uh, had reasons to be proud, in the quality of our people, our command. And those commanders had better ideas. 
and better ideas as a system. You're talking senior commanders or at all levels? I think it, um, uh, our, our real strength also always uh, lied in the level of uh, battalion, brigade, and uh, uh, command commanders. So it's, it's all levels. And it had to do not only with the creativity of commanders in the field. It also had to do with the creativity of uh, the people designing uh, our uh, weapon systems and uh, the people that uh, design our um, uh, doctrines. But the main focus of the systemic learning in the IDF was tactical. Okay. If you're trying to investigate into another term, transformation, when did the IDF transform, you can see two patterns. The first is one of heavy uh, involvement of senior leaders, that is to say, Ben-Gurion. Very and, senior leaders. Yes, and, uh, and other government leaders. Um, Ben-Gurion was the one to realize that the establishment of the Haganah, which was prior to the IDF, is a kind of uh, entrenched in the idea of uh, underground organization, uh, reluctant to organize itself as an army. The Ben-Gurion initiative in 47-48 against all uh, the Haganah leaders was the one that made the IDF possible in uh, 48 and actually uh, made our uh, independence more successful. So this is one pattern. Okay. The other pattern, well, let's be modest again. The transformations that the IDF went through were a sort of global transformations. So the first transformation was uh, from an underground organization into a, an army, a military organization. At around the birth of the state. That's right. Okay. The next one was the transforming of an infantry a focused military into a mechanized military. That was around the 50s and the 60s. Well, this model was out there for 30 years by then. We have all seen Guderian and Rommel practicing Blitzkrieg in the Second World War. So that was a model to reach out and pick for the IDF. So that's the second transformation. Okay. The third transformation, well, I think the IDF was one of the pioneers of that. Uh, Americans call it early in battle. It has to do with the complex of intelligence gathering and precision weapons. And we've all seen that uh, at work in 91 in Iraq and again in, uh, 20, in 2002 and 3 in Afghanistan and in Iraq. The IDF had its own version. But again, though we were one of the pioneers, the model was out there to reach. It was common to American, Europeans, and the IDF. So we did not invent the third transformation ourselves. So when you got to your position now, which is almost you know, the head learner of the general headquarters, what, what did you see? What was the state of the IDF learning mechanisms or in general? Well, I think the IDF is a, from the 
1990s, a very good level of systemic operational learning. And actually, Dado Center is uh, a descendant of an organization that was created in the 90s, headed by uh, uh, General Nave and General Tamari. We are standing on the shoulders of giants. Saying that, and being very proud of this heritage, my understanding was, and it developed during my career, through my experience, was that Uh, the IDF is heavily dependent on, on its operational, real-time, real battlefield learning and have, has difficulties translating those understandings into a real realization of the gaps that we are gathering in uh, the force design. Level. So that would mean when we're in a period of relative quiet, we're unable to anticipate what that next um, conflict or the next war will look like. Is that, is that what you're saying? Yes, Lazar, that and even more. We are trying with different planning, operational planning, to breach real gaps that has to do with the lack of current transformation. We are filling those gaps. We are discontent with what we do in the battlefield, the operations in Gaza, the Second Lebanon War. But the IDF has difficulties to realize that those gaps that everyone recognizes by now has to do with the lack of real transformation in the hardcore of our force. So let me talk about how you personally, in your position, are trying to influence that. What are you doing? I know you have a, um, a journal, a military journal that you've been behind. How is that part of your efforts to improve the IDF's ability to anticipate, to adapt, and basically to transform? Well, thank you, Lazer, for mentioning DCJ, Dado Center Journal. I am proud of this project, and uh, if you... take one of the issues and even um, go through the articles that we have translated to English and are uh, on our website, you can see that uh, many of them, I think most of them, are discussing forced transformation. Even if it doesn't specifically say that, you're saying that's... Absolutely. You, you they're discussing... With that lens. Yeah. They're, they're discussing the need for transformation. They're discussing the ways... Uh, for transformation, that is the organizational changes that we need to adapt in order to create our transformation. And they are discussing the, the issues themselves, what we need to do. And we do that through thinking and writing of our top generals. You want to give me some examples of some of the figures that have written? Well, yes. Uh, General Aviv Kochavi. Uh, who wrote uh, about his project in uh, our um, intelligence uh, organization. For our listeners, who is Aviv Kochavi? Our vice uh, general staff uh, okay. commander. And uh, we had a couple of uh, our army commanders, that is the ground forces commanders, uh, General Tsur and General uh, Barak, who uh, uh, took uh, over uh, from Gai Tsur, uh, who are writing about the need to transform our army and we have general khaliva another general of the army writing about the same stuff and going further to 
describe the needed force, and so on and so forth. So DCJ is really a platform to push the organization forward into this transformation. It's one of our key agendas. So for our listeners, we have li- listeners around the world. If they want to read this in English, which they can, they, by the way, how, how would they do that? Well, just uh, punch in Dado Center, Dado Center Journal. Uh, you'll find it uh, inside the IDF uh, uh, website. And I think uh, it might be interesting. I have a couple of articles myself that I... Uh, ooh. ooh, yes. <laughs> As do I. Um, and there's also a Facebook page for the Dado Center Journal. So everything that comes out in English, we put that up there. So follow us there on Dado Center. Um, data center as well and and how often do we publish a, an issue it's a quarterly uh, magazine so about four or five times a year just but, follow us on Facebook but uh, articles themselves in English are updating all the time so people should probably check yes yeah I, I, yes English is hard as, as you can all yeah you, you can all hear it's easy come on yeah <laughs> Well, my English is better than most of uh, our listeners' Hebrew. No question. No question. Okay, well, this has been a very fascinating um, conversation about an important topic, how a military can anticipate, adapt, come to the next battle um, more ready, more prepared, more relevant than the other side. Um, so thank you to Colonel Iran Artal for coming and sharing that with us. Thank you, Reza. Thank you, Shmuel. Thank you. And um, at this point, we're going to... have a little feature that we like to uh, share with you what we're reading in the military field. So I'll start with Shmuel. Well, uh, it's not going to be reading this time because uh, the last thing I read was the national security strategy. And, and you don't recommend it. <laughs> only if you have a hard time falling asleep. Uh, but a show, actually, a military-style show, The Expense. Uh, sci-fi channel or the Netflix. Expense? The Expense. Okay. It's a sci-fi military theme based on a book. Based on, based on a series of books, and it has a very interesting depiction of the inter, international system uh, in the, well, not-so-distant future, and of uh, very well-depicted naval-slash-space uh, battles in a way that was not uh, depicted before in Hollywood. Very, very recommended. That's a fascinating place to... to uh, To learn about possible future scenarios, that's very interesting. Thank you for that. So, Laser, what have you been reading lately? So, I actually read an article in Newsweek. It was about robots and the future of warfare. And this one had a pretty uh, worrying message for some of us out there. That sex robots could be controlled by hackers and could become very dangerous sex robots. So, check it out in Newsweek if that's relevant for you. And if not... It's important to keep an eye on robotic technology and how that will affect the future. Don't turn on the Wi-Fi. Well, yeah, and unplug yeah. all of your devices. So thank you for joining us for this very special winter episode of the Operational Art Podcast from the Dado Center in Israel. Um, our special guest again was Colonel Iran Artal, head of the Think Tank at the Dado Center. Our next uh, episode will be a discussion of cross-domain maneuver and multi-domain battle. And thank you for joining us. We would like to thank Major Ben Saadi from the Homeland Command for allowing us to use the facilities. And uh, wish you all happy post-holidays. The Operational Art with Laser Berman and Shmuel Shmuel. Shmuel.